0: Well, good morning, New Heights Bentonville. I don't feel like I have to introduce myself as much anymore now. Uh, yeah, I'm a new staff member here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking with you. Um, no. <laughs> uh, it's a pleasure to be here again, but for those of you that might be guests here, my name is James Hawkins. I'm one of the teaching pastors at New Heights Fayetteville, but in my primary time, I am a counselor at the Joshua Center. And why does that have anything to do with it? I feel like part of my gift and a call as a counselor is to really help people in relationship people that are struggling, people that are in distress, what's going on? What is the thing that blocks people that really want to try and do life together? What's getting in the way of helping them do life together? Hence why I think I'm here speaking on this topic today. So we're back in our Confronting Christianity series. So before I get going, though, and like I got to remember, I'm in control of the slides today, y'all. This could be scary. I don't know. We'll see. But I want to help you relax a little bit. We're going to be talking about a very difficult topic. Something that in America right now, it's like, if you want to go ahead and start a fight, I'm going to prepare. If you want to make things entertaining at the holidays, bring up diversity and see what happens at the holidays typically. You want to start something around the water cooler at work or on social media, say something about diversity and see how quick things get going, right? So, but I want to challenge us. Let's ask some questions here of ourselves today before we get going. I want you to think through this list. Who are your closest friends? Picture them in your mind. Who are your trusted mentors? What teachers, theologians, preachers do you look to for spiritual guidance? And who are the main curators of the information that shapes your worldview? News you watch, authors are the books that you're reading, music you listen to, politicians, podcasts, social media? Do you kind of have a picture of those people in your mind? Okay. Here's where it gets personal. How many of your lists probably look very homogenous ethnically? That's usually common. Where it's like what we happen, we create these silos in our world where we only listen to people typically who look like us, and think like us, and sometimes are even from our own, not just same gender, uh, same socioeconomic status, and of course, same ethnicity. And here's the problem with that, that we never are impacted by the story of others who may be experiencing the kingdom of God differently than we are. So therefore, we get a monolithic view of the God's world and of of his character, And that becomes a problem when we try and do life together. Because then what happens is, no, this is the way it should be. No, this is the way it should be. And then we end up fighting against each other. Instead of saying, you know what, wow, that's interesting how you see that differently. I never considered that before. Or, you know what, hey, we have a little riff here, but that's okay, we can work it out. We're better off together. So let me kind of make this a little bit more personal Uh, Sean's seen this picture before. This is a little bit to put me out there. If you'll see the picture over here, that's my... Well, you can't see that picture so well. (laughs) But just imagine a very middle-class, white-looking woman over on that side. And over here, this is her again. But that's me there with a curious look at my cousins going on there. That's my great-grandmother. That's great-granny Tate. And I remember growing up as a little boy, and I wondered, Mom... Why does Granny Tate look white, but we're black? And she would always, as a little kid, she would kind of like, well, you know, she didn't really want to talk about it. Well, you see, my great-grandmother is a product, and I have to, sorry, we got kids in the room, of, let's say, inappropriate relationships with slave masters and slaves. That's my family. That's a complicated heritage to bring together. Some of the worst parts of America help produce who my family is. Race in America is complicated, very complicated. And maybe that just helps me and why I try and look at it from both sides of what's going on. And I guess, let me put it out there. What, makes, what really hurts me the most in the race conversation in America is when either side feels like they have the hold on absolute truth. And like their cultural perspective is the perspective to take, because that is not about the kingdom of heaven. That is about you getting your way, which does not advance the kingdom of God, unless your heart's attitude is, I want to see the kingdom of God advance. And so we're going to be wrestling with that today. Of course, in America, we know it, what's going on politics, race war, immigration, gender, so much going on the political divide it feels like almost your political platform is also your religious platform and it's to be fought for just as much as your theological views but ultimately what we're talking about is a battle between two kingdoms make no mistake about it this is not just black white this is not just male female this is not just about rich or poor or republican or democrat this for the body of christ the conversation is different we are talking about whose kingdom are we fighting for is it God's kingdom or Satan's kingdom? Because I really feel like in this midst when today when we're all fighting amongst, even as believers and we're fighting back and forth, Satan is like, thank you, puppet dance. Say what I want you to say. Do what I want you to do. While the whole time I've got you distracted from the mission that I'm really on. And that is to divide you. And he's doing a very good job of that right now. And we play along with it just like puppets sometimes. Because ultimately what he wants us to do is destroy one another with our words. He wants us to tear each other down rather than to build the kingdom of God up. So the question that we're answering today is, doesn't Christianity crush diversity? It's a complicated question that you really have to break down. Doesn't Christianity in and of itself as a religion crush diversity? In some ways, yes. Yes, Christianity does crush diversity. If you look at historically, particularly in America, and I liked one of my friends, he said this, if the church has existed for 2,000 years, for about a quarter of that time, particularly here in America, we have never been racially united as a church. I mean, we can even see it here in this room, right? Why is that? because we, cremate, we created a sin against God and people that bore the image of God, and we allow people to put systems and practices in place that have continually kept us divided. So yes, there have, been a, there have been times when people for protection and power, that they've used Christianity. They did it in Germany. You do realize that Christians united with Hitler to oppress the Jews. You do know that happened, right? And it took brave men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer to say no, this is a sin and it is against God. I will stand up against power. Slavery. They looked to theologians to endorse slavery. Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, great men, but theologically they got this one wrong because they gave into culture rather than the kingdom of God. And even for Jim Crow, to endorse Jim Crow, the politicians knew they couldn't do it. You know who they turned to? White ministers to endorse Jim Crow. The church has been complicit. So, yes, in some ways, the church did crush diversity. And we're still suffering with it now. And I like what she said in the book. We celebrate diversity and lament the ways religion has been used by Westerners to destroy indigenous cultures. Because what, in, what, in European culture, what we've done, and I'll say we, because I want to make sure it's us as the body of Christ. What we've done is we tried to create what is the way, a superior way to all other ways. And what we did is we used things like race and social class to say whose way should be the way and not God's way. And so if you did not meet the European standard, your theology wasn't good, your view wasn't good, and you were subhuman in some way. And if you, don't, if you want to know more about this historically, I encourage you to read the book, The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisbe. He, he's a historian, and he does a great job of going from the beginning of the American church and going through and showing all the moments in our history where the American church actually was complicit in racism. And this is why we have a hard time. Why, you're like, Why can't people come together? Because we also have to admit, while we can blame politicians, guess what, church? We, and I'm going to use that word, we did this. And if we did this, we have to be the ones to fix it. We can't put it off. It's not the politician's job. So, but I do want to challenge us. I do think that, no, Christianity in and of itself, from a biblical view, does not crush diversity. That actually the fullness of the gospel is that through Christ and the Holy Spirit, God is reconciling men and women, young and old, rich and poor, of every ability level and from every ethnic group to himself and to each other. Did you catch what I did with that? Because typically, in American view, the gospel is I got saved. Jesus died for me. And so I got my ticket to heaven. It's all about self. No, what was lost in the Garden of Eden, yes, was one, and most importantly, our relationship with God. But the, from the moment we fell, we also fell out of relationship with each other. So God's whole plan is not just to save you he is trying to save the world and reconcile us to him and to each other. He's restoring what was lost, which was also full relationship, which is part of the individualistic idea of the gospel allows us to still once again, hey, I'm good. I'm fine. I don't know what your problem is, but I'm not affected by your suffering because Jesus took care of my suffering. Like, why do I need to lament, James? That's not the gospel. I don't know what gospel you're reading, but Jesus laments. And why is he lamenting? Because he is still the earth and everyone is groaning, waiting for the full adoption of the sons and daughters of God. What we are now is not what we are to be. We are still not living out the fullness of the gospel yet. So here's the beautiful part. I want to create a picture for us today. United in Christ, and we said it in the prayer, Logan said in the prayer, we want to fully demonstrate God. How do we do that? We have to be unified. But when we're divided, we're just like a bunch of random puzzle pieces. You know, you want to see that beautiful picture that comes together when a puzzle's put together. You know, you picture the box, and it's beautiful, and it looks good. But just when it's a bunch of pieces, it's nothing. There's no picture. There's nothing to be seen. And as long as I believe, as the church, when we stay divided by class and ethnicity and gender. We're just a bunch of random puzzle pieces manifesting nothing. But when we come together we manifest the glory and the image of God. And make no mistake about it, Satan does not ever want that to happen. Because when we unify, we point to God. Amen? Y'all can talk to him and remember that, right? Cultural lesson of the day. James wants you to talk to him. So, but the challenging question for us, and I mean this, is for us in this room, because people will say, but James, I didn't do that. Well, but guess what? We all have inherited the past right now in the present, and I'm going to steal this line from a friend I just heard at a training. We cannot go back and change history, but we can change how history impacts the present. So, I'm not asking anyone in this room to go back and change history. You can't do it. I know it. I know you've watched Back to the Future. It's not going to happen for you. (laughs) But we can change how the history is is impacting our present. And we all have a responsibility to that. So now, that's where we're going to go with our lesson. Even the Bible says we cannot live in this way of trying to create this monolithic experience. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, Jesus is saying this, "If if you love those who love you what reward would you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. In other words, if you only want to associate with people like you, you are just living like the pagan would do. Now, part of what Jesus is even challenging them with is a little bit of a religious view, but I even think there's a cultural view within that. So he's calling us, You can't just pick and choose. And it's not only just those people who favor you. You have to go beyond even just those people who favor you, because that's not what we do in the kingdom of God. In the natural perspective, we'll say it, birds of a feather, what? Flock together. But that's just a natural view. But it is a divine thing when you see people from different backgrounds come together in unity. Because you say, well, why does that even matter, James? Because that tells me when people from different cultural groups, socioeconomic groups, even political ideas can come together, that tells me that there has to be something greater and bigger bigger than their gender, than their ethnicity, or their socioeconomic status that brings them together. I think sometimes even in the church why it's an issue is because sometimes we lose grasp of that there's something bigger than just race, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status. So therefore, we can't come together because we don't have a vision of something greater to bind us together. But I want to make it clear that this is God's call from the very beginning. But the problem is, is when sin came in and we began to oppress and separate ourselves out and devalue devalue people, whether it's based on age or gender, that these types of sins, and I think even in America, when we talk about race, the reason why this is an issue is that we think only that minorities are being affected by this, so it's only they need to heal. Really, the problem in America is is that even when we talk about race and socioeconomic status, that even the oppressor is wounded by the sin as well. So actually, we all need reconciliation. We all need healing together. And you say, how do you know that, James? Because as I try and do these types of mediations and conversations, I see it all come up. Shame, guilt, discomfort. It all comes up. Anger, bitterness, and it's all the stuff that's been built up for years and years in history that we've inherited that a lot take us away from being able to have this conversation in a better way. But I like how Martin Luther King said it. He says, we are caught in an escapable network, network of mutuality tied together in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one affects all directly. So in other words, and what Martin was taught when he was talking about this is even for the group that is the minority, for the majority, your healing and actually your prosperity is tied up with their ability to thrive as well. And I think that is the, also the principle of the kingdom of heaven. That we cannot think we're going to thrive in the kingdom of heaven and forget about our brothers and sisters who are in suffering and who are hurting. And the idea here is I want to make it clear. This is the the main point I want you to hold on to today. Why does this issue of diversity matter? Because Jesus made it a central issue of the gospel. In his messianic prayer in John 17, when he knows his hour is about to come, it's like he's giving his state of the, the kingdom of God address. So what he has to say is important. All shows canceled, no commercial interruptions. Listen to what I have to say. And in part of his prayer, he went into this. My prayer is not for them alone, as he's talking about the nation, of, uh, of the, the Jewish nation. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one. Do you think Jesus wants us to be one? He's repeating it back to back here, right? I and them and you and me, so that what? They may be brought to kind of, sort of getting along, abiding in their own communities, doing life separ- separated in their different churches. No, so that they may be brought to what? Complete unity. The idea of unity with Jesus is central and foremost in his teaching. And he says, why is this important? He says, because when they are brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So our unity is even tied up to pointing people to what God is doing through Jesus Christ. If you say you are a follower of Christ and then you hate your brother, that doesn't fit. Or you don't do life with your brother or your sister that does not fit and the world sees, season they say what are you doing different than me my grandfather was a world war ii vet and one of the things that strikes me about world war ii is that even for african-american soldiers they still had to give up their seat on trains to german pow's and even when german pow's were brought over to america to be held they were in the south and some of the german POWs said why are you over there bothering hitler and you're over here doing the same thing in america to them, it's like, what? So for us, it's the Jews. For you it's the, blo- for you, it's the blacks. Why are you over here? Why are we being penalized? And that's a very hard thing. In other words, it's like, you say it's built on Judeo-Christian values, but you're doing the same thing. It's, it, it doesn't make sense. So I want us to take us on a journey through Scripture, and I'm going to go fast for this. I'm not going to read every verse, but I want to make sure that today that we make it very clear that the whole theme of Scripture is about this idea of unity and thus being brought together. And here you say, why are you going to do it that way, James? Because people usually ask me, James, what should I do? And I don't know how to answer the question. I'm going to be honest with you in many ways. Why don't I know how to answer the question? Because no one answered the question for me. I had to take my own journey, and God had to speak to my heart, and he began to open my eyes and show me this journey through his scripture, and through observing life. So I'm hoping I can take you on a journey and that the Holy Spirit joins with you and that he is the one, because even this is me being a counselor, right? I know that really, if I give you advice, you're only going to take my advice 20% of the time, right? You're just not. You're just, people just don't for some reason, like, because you don't believe it. It's not something that's really felt in you. And so, but when you really, when it's the Holy Spirit that comes in you and shows it to you, man, I don't really have to tell you what to do. All I have to do is encourage you and support you at that point. So let's take a journey. Before the fall, we see that every person was made in the image of God. And I like when we were praying this morning, Sean pointed that out in our prayer. Actually, there is more about us that is similar than is different. The reason why the differences make a difference now is because of what we as people have ascribed to it, of who's worthy, who's acceptable, and who's not. But at the very core... We are all made in the image of God and sacred and valuable in the sight of God. And what's so beautiful is not only that it makes us common with each other, but it makes us common with God Himself. And I make sure I say when I say common, we bear His image in us. Amen. And that is male or female. And at this time, the idea when we even say race, you do know race is not a biblical concept, right? ethnicity, cultures, nations, that kind of word, or ethnos would be a word that's used in scripture. And that's referring to your cultural group or your ethnic group. Race is something that was created in a modern context. And the whole reason the idea of race was created was to subjugate people and make them work the land, to put them in servitude. So what they did is at one time we would identify as French or German or Portuguese or whatever. But in other words, to work the land, we had to say, wait, we've got to create a superior class Ah, superior class will be white. The inferior class will be black. And so, you, in other words, if you want to be able to own land, to vote, to have rights, you had to prove that you are a member of the white class. And if you were any way African, you were lesser or subhuman in some way. And not only does it, when we are created in the image of God, we have this sense of complete unity before the fall, that there was no separation. Adam and Eve were in perfect harmony and unity. There was no shame, nothing that separated them from each other. But it didn't stay that way, unfortunately, because then comes the fall. And we recognize that immediately after Adam and Eve sinned against God, not only did their own personal sin affect their relationship with God, it even affected the way that they related to each other. Here in Genesis chapter 3, it says, they realize all of a sudden now there's something wrong with me and I've got to deal with it. I've got to find a way to cover it up. And so they cover themselves not only from, they cover themselves from each other, but it doesn't stop there. They also hide themselves from the presence of God. Relationship has changed. Where we have perfect unity, now we have this sense of separation. And then we begin to recognize, even in Genesis chapter 3 after the fall, that now there's this epic battle going on between two kingdoms, between Satan and the woman and her seed, And he wants to defeat the woman and her seed because he wants to ultimately defeat the kingdom of God. So in other words, Satan will always be working to to suppress the plan of God or people who bear the image of God. That's why racism in any form of oppression is evil because it is participating with the kingdom of darkness to oppress people made in the image of God to ultimately stop the kingdom of God. But of course, in this passage, the seed that we're talking about ultimately is who? Jesus, about Jesus coming into the world. Now, but we do see in Genesis chapter 11, when we think about culture, we think about language, we think about food, right? And we see even in Genesis chapter 11 that at one time the whole world did have a common language, that there was a sense of them being together. But sometimes even unity in and of itself can be bad. Because here we see them now, they say, you know what? Hey, let's come make, make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they want to use these bricks instead of stones and and tar for mortar. But why were they doing it? They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Do you catch this? This is a group coming together, but who are they coming together for? For ourselves. Can I say this? If any group is coming together to preserve self, you have missed the mark of the kingdom of heaven. So in your political dealings or ethnic discussions, if it's only about preserving self, that's not the kingdom of heaven. If it's to save your political party, save your political party, but you have missed the kingdom of heaven in that. So that we may make a name for ourselves, otherwise we'll be scattered from the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they do will be impossible for them. So in other words, there is a part, and somebody helped me with this last time I preached here. They were trying to build their own centralized government in this one place. We're going to build our own little mini kingdom, and it's going to be about us. And God's like, nope, that's not my plan. My plan has always been for you to spread out and fill the earth and to do my will over the whole earth. And that should even be our call as believers today. It is not to build our own little mini kingdoms of racial or socioeconomic or gender homogeny. It is to spread and manifest the image of God to all people. So, but we don't get stuck here in the fall. We look forward to a restoration. Even in the book of Joel, God makes it clear. He says, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people, in, over all ethnic groups, your sons and your daughters. This is gender will prophesy. Your old men, even age, will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, he makes it clear again, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit. This is a prophet that we, this is a prophecy we see fulfilled in the book of Acts. God is even saying in the Old Testament, what I lost in the garden, I will restore and I will do it by the power of my spirit. You are all divided and fighting against each other now but I will bring you back together. Amen? Now the question is, is, are we participating in that plan or do we as Christians crush diversity? The gospel, the good news, that through Jesus we can be reconciled to God and to each other. But the struggle is, is even in Christianity, in American Christianity, we tried to make Jesus white. Because why? He needs to fit that superiority narrative. That centuries of Western art depicting a fair-skinned Jesus incline us to forget Christianity actually came from the Middle East. Even in America, we're thinking like, we've got to fix the theology in Africa and help them. You, do you know that Christianity was in Africa before it was here? Oh, wow, I got my corner right over here, right? Thanks. Yeah, y'all can join in with me. And that does something to us. Why? Because once again, we want to try. This is kind of like idolatry. We want to make God in our own image. So that way he feels comfortable to us. Contrary to popular conception, I love this line in the book. The Christian movement was multicultural and multi-ethnic from the outset. Jesus, even in himself, in his time... Even today, when we talk about, even Christians talk about race and racial reconciliation, oh, you're this, oh, you're that. Well, I guess if Jesus, if we're going by the same bill that we identify people now, then even the the believers of Jesus' time says, wait a minute, you're scandalizing us here. What are you doing talking to women? What are you doing talking to Samaritans? What are you doing talking to tax collectors? What are you doing? Jesus was tearing through racial and cultural boundaries, And we as believers are supposed to be doing the same. We should not still be trying to build towers of Babel. We should be doing what Jesus did and tearing through these boundaries. So I want to make it clear. I love when you look at the life of Jesus. He is the perfect reconciler. Why? Even in Jesus' lineage in the book of Matthew, of course, one of his forefathers is Abraham. You do know Abraham himself. What made the Jews Jewish was following the law. God built a separate cultural group for them. He was called out of a pagan nation it wasn't like he was called out of the nation of israel right it was a pagan nation but what made their culture was god was their culture and that's what made them distinct amongst the other nations around them and god said i want to do this through you so that i can use you to call the other nations to me it was never about them forming any ethnic superiority amongst themselves same thing for us in christianity it is never about ethnic superiority. Your your ethnicity is about you having a culture of the kingdom of heaven that draws people to God. But we even see in the book of, uh, in Jesus' lineage, he mentions Tamar. Tamar was a Canaanite, and she had to pretend to be a prostitute to have children with Judah. whole other story there. We see Ruth, a Moabite, is in the lineage of Jesus. We see Rahab, a Canaanite, a prostitute, is in the lineage of Jesus. So catch this. Jesus' background was multicultural and multi ethnic. We even see at Jesus' birth, Magi, who would have been considered Gentiles, that God spoke to them and showed them the star where Jesus was going to be born. And even they were compelled to go see this king that would be born. But then we also see the shepherds that are out in the field, lower socioeconomic, probably Jewish people, there at the birth of Jesus. Even the birth of Jesus brought different ethnic and cultural groups together from the moment he was born. But then in Jesus' own life, he fellowshiped with the rich and the poor. He worked through a Samaritan woman to call a whole city to the gospel. He used the story of the good Samaritan to the Jews to tell them who their neighbor was. He healed the Roman centurion's daughter. He touched a leper, which would have been culturally unclean for them at that time. And even at the moment of his death, some believe that it was a man from North Africa that helped carry Jesus' cross as he marched it up the hill. Jesus' whole life was based in diversity. And I love this. Josh helped me think about this as I was preparing for this talk. Even in the book of Joshua, Joshua is going out. He's getting ready to go in and begin conquering the land. And he encounters someone who is considered the angel of the Lord's armies. This is what we kind of like call like a Christophany, right? A fore a, a image of Christ before he's come on the earth. That he meets this, this, he meets this image of Christ or Christ revealing himself. And Joshua, immediately, he sees a sword on him. So what does a warrior do? Hey, who are you for, my enemy or for me? And I love Jesus' answer. Neither. I'm a commander of the Lord's army. So many times we want, to take the, the, uh, we want to take the gospel and we want to take it and manipulate it to our own agenda and to our own views. And Jesus says, hey, is Jesus Democrat or Republican, conservative or liberal? And He's like, neither. I'm for the kingdom of heaven. You can't fit me in your box. Because in some ways, Jesus destroys whatever box you put him in because he doesn't fit it. Right? So, who calls is Jesus for neither? Jesus is restoring our common identity in Christ. It says in the book of Acts from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries and their lands. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. I love this. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. This is Paul at Mars Hill. Right? From one man, all the nations have been made. And, of course, that points back to Adam, but it also points to now Jesus, the second Adam, that we should seek God but then we have to have this warning. Even while we struggle to come together, Paul makes it very clear that the whole gospel is fulfilled in one thing, that we should love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And in verse 15 of Galatians 5, if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. What's happening in the body of Christ when we get into these arguments and we, all we do is lob bombs at each other, we're actually destroying each other. And Satan's sitting back like, I love it. They think it's just about race. They think it's just about socioeconomics. They think it's just about immigration. And those things do matter. But they're just destroying each other. They're destroying each other. They're just tearing each other down instead of actually trying to be pushed to love one another. Satan's playing the puppet behind the scene just so we'll destroy each other. Why does prejudice or bias matter? It's a direct affront once again, to the gospel and to the nature of God. He is about bringing us together in one common image in Christ, reflecting his image. And I want to make it clear that even in the Bible, the Bible speaks out against all forms of discrimination. Look at this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus, Christ, uh, uh, Christ must not, Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. Or a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention to that rich man and over the poor man, he says, what? You have discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. So even when it comes to class, when we start treating the rich better than we do the poor, he says, you have done something evil and become judges amongst yourselves. Then we see even in James chapter 8, he highlights this again. Love your neighbors as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin. If you show favoritism, you sin. I think, it, I think that speaks pretty clearly. But it challenges us all, not even amongst ethnic groups. Here we see now in the book of Acts where Peter is being confronted about going to Cornelius to share the gospel with Cornelius. He said to them, and so God has spoke to him about bringing the sheep down from heaven, and said, Peter, eat. Peter's like, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm not going to do it. And Peter thought it was about the animals. But God was speaking to Peter about, Peter, I'm trying to call all people of every ethnic group together. Go do what I'm telling you to do here, Peter. I'm calling you a Jew to go to the Gentiles. And Peter says when he shows up at Cornelius's house, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or un- unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you have sent for me? And then after they tell him, Peter goes on. And Peter is convinced. This is Peter's moment. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every nation uh, from every nation the one who fears and does what is right. Even Peter was confronted on his own ethnic bias. And because he was confronted on it, he shared the gospel with them. I wish it would have stayed that way, but we see Peter does struggle again with it later in the book of Galatians. Here he's now with Paul in the book of Galatians, and Paul has been specifically given the ministry of going to the Gentiles. And so here Paul, he has to call out Peter to his face, because while Paul, while Peter is there with him, he's fine. Peter's eating with the Gentiles, hanging out with them. But uh-oh, here are the people from his ethnic group. They show up. And what does Peter do? He goes black. And he, 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 what Paul says, he plays the hypocrite. He pulls away from the Gentiles and goes back and starts hanging with his Jews like the Gentile, like he wasn't just hanging out with the Gentiles. And so I love when Paul says it. He says, when I saw that he was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I had to call him out in front of Everybody. So even Peter, in his own journey, it wasn't perfect. He was convinced by God of what to do and that it was right. But even he struggled along the journey. But I love Paul's response. Paul says, when you do that, Peter, you are not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, and I'm going to call you out. For us to change this in the body of Christ, we have to be willing to call it out amongst us. We have to challenge the way we set up church and structures and systems and the way we do it, even in some of the organizations I work with. When we, when we recruit and the way we build things, we build it based on recruiting from what? Predominantly white or, or white cultural context. And we have to challenge that. But we have to call it out in ourselves. And that's not always comfortable or easy. But it's necessary. And I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. This isn't just about like, oh, well, you know what? I'm just going to be a person and I'm going to change my own mind. And in my own mind, I'm just going to believe all people are good and I'm just going to leave it like that. I love this quote. We are not to simply banish the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. And this is hard, y'all, because in America, once again, no, this is hard, but there have been systems set in place when people acting in sin made laws, did things even the way we live you know the way and how we live today it's been set up historically through redlining and home lending laws that we've never overcome that and it's perfect because the system still lives on even where your kids go to school and how it's district out it is still based on segregation and so therefore many Christians I believe do not want to be segregated they're not racist however, who are you going to do life with? the people you work with, who your kids go to school with, where you live at. It even affects the churches you go to. And so we still are living within this system that was created for us from the past that we've inherited. And so now we have to say, what do we do to change that and to bring ourselves together? Because remember, it's about God's kingdom against Satan's kingdom. But I want to remind you that in the book of Revelations, as the worship team comes up, that God will prevail and, he, and we will be fully reconciled. We see this in the book of Revelations. And it says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. But it doesn't stop there. Revelations chapter 7, he says it again in another way. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, and no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, because ultimately it was about bringing the people of God together. So from Genesis to Revelations, God will bring his kingdom back together a diverse body of people, demonstrating the the kingdom of God, because no ethnicity in and of itself, no no social class, and no gender can manifest the full glory of the image of God by himself. And actually, when we are able to come together as a people of God, it is a powerful testimony to the world that it is God working in us because if i see all black people gathered together still a beautiful thing and god can be in it all white people together god is still beautiful and god can be in it all rich all poor or all whatever but when i see those people come together and bring their cultural differences cuz i want to say this many times in the church we say we want to have a multi ethnic church but there's a difference between multi ethnic and multicultural cuz typically what happens is when we say multi ethnic is we want all people to come worship with us but we're going to still do it in one cultural view because to be multicultural, we require that at some point, everybody in the congregation will be uncomfortable. And we as people do not do discomfort. I want to do it the way I was raised to do it. I want the preacher the way I was raised with the preachers when I was a kid. And I say all of this because I have sat in other cultural settings. I've been in the black missionary Baptist church I was mentored by a Church of God pastor, a a, a pastor from the full gospel church, from the AME church, and I've been in the military and served with multicultural groups. And I tell you, it's a beautiful thing when I get to see God move in different cultural settings, but it's not always easy. So, what do I do? The famous question. Pray. Pray for the Holy Spirit to expose bias and barriers in your own life that keeps you from fellowshipping with other people from different, whether it's ethnic, social class, or gender groups. And then another one that sometimes we don't talk about in the church, this is what where reconciliation really gets hung up. We have to be able to lament that we have a shared history of being affected by racism and oppression, even in America. And if we cannot lament together, then we cannot heal together. So even we have to take in another story to be able to see how we've inherited this. and We've got to lament it together. But then we have to repent, repent of those biases that the Holy Spirit shows us. And I have them too. I'm not just preaching at you. I have them, and I have to confront them in myself when he brings them to my awareness. And, of course, I won't go through this slide. Josh has a a handout, a resource list that I've given you all that he'll post on the website. But I just want to close with this. And as we go into our, our ministry time and we reflect, we're about to do something really beautiful as a congregation we're going to get ready to move into our ministry time and communion. And do you know that even the idea of communion, even at one time in the church, people were divided over different, different ways, right? Whether it's socioeconomic, the rich would have all their food and they would eat to their plenteous. Then the poor at the, con- and at the time, they wouldn't have very little. And Paul's like, no, 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 it shouldn't be that way amongst you. When you come together over the, over the Lord's Supper, you should rightly discern the Lord's body. One of it is Christ's physical body but I also think he means the church body. And I love what Paul said. He says, because you have not rightfully discerned the Lord's body is why many are sick and weak among you. And what I think that means, maybe this is me being a counselor. I think one of the reasons why we struggle in the American church is because we are so divided, and we don't even do the whole community of God together. And because we're divided and we're not unified, we don't have access to all that God has put within his body for us. So even today, I just want you to take a moment, and, I'm going to, and I just want to pray over you. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this congregation. I thank you for them being willing to sit and to wrestle with these hard questions. But as these hard questions come up, I know it's not heard in a vacuum. There are so many things that go on in our society that affect how we hear information like this, Lord. So God, I want to pray that your Holy Spirit would speak and reveal in our hearts biases that we have. And God, help us to lament, to mourn over the pain of of different ethnic groups, socioeconomic groups, gender groups, God, and the ways in which we have rebelled against your image of God in all people. And God, help as you show this to us. Give us the courage to do like Paul and to call it out. Give us the courage of even Peter that even it moved him out of his comfort zone, but he went, he spoke, he shared the gospel. God, I pray that even at New Heights Bentonville, that you would just move amongst the staff, the elders, and the congregation to be able to reach all people in their community, that this, this church would not just, that this church would be manifesting the kingdom of God in its fullness, God, that they could work through the difficulties of times when it's like we work through the human blocks and barriers of being a multicultural church that manifests the full glory of God. So God, we thank you. And I pray for our nation right now, Lord. We're going to go into a time, in our political time, whatever, God, we're going to, its going to be so much, you're going to see, we're just going to see Satan working to keep us divided, to tear down the image of God and all people. And we pray against that, Lord, but that we would let love, the fulfillment of the whole law, be the thing that motivates us, that pulls us together. And so, God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.